but it's good to be with you this morning. My wife wisely suggested that I do a little disclaimer at the beginning of the message instead of what I did in first service and just kind of started coughing randomly through uh, partway through the sermon. I have, um, I'm over the congestion that I've been facing uh, over the course of the last few days, but uh, I don't know if it's the smoke or the dust or some combination of all those things. Um, I may have to pause for a cough drop here and here or there, but, but, but God has, uh, I think, an incredible message for us this morning, something that uh, is going to inspire us as we continue to, to look at what it looks like for us to, to lean in um, and live our faith in a way that, that, that reflects what we believe and, and the way that we're called to see the world. So we've got a graphic. We're, we're in week two of, um, of a series called Active Faith, and that's just simply saying we're going to not just apply faith to understanding it as this is a way of, of, of believing or a framework of belief, and, and not even just as, a, as a, a, a framework for a worldview, but also for a way of living. And so the intersection of those three things, of, of our confidence or our beliefs and the, and the perspective that we have in the world, and then the, the way that we actually live, comes together, the intersection of that is, is what we're calling active faith, where we actually apply faith to a way of living, right? To the, to the actual act of living. And the beautiful thing, when we start talking about confidence and perspective, and we start talking about, about action and, and putting things into action, is, is that we have an opportunity to, to grow in some specific kinds of ways, whether that's in, in confidence, right? In the, in, the, in the structure of what we believe, we have an opportunity to grow in, in perspective, the, the lens that we look at the world through and and grow in action in the, in, the, in the way that we actually go about living our lives. And so the goal of this series, the goal of this series is that, that we would increase the, the, those circles, right? And that we would increase the overlap of those circles as well. And we're, well that's, that's called congruence. That's when things are starting to line up, when things start to make sense, where, where our, our actions are, are congruent with our beliefs, when, when our, our way of seeing the world is congruent with what we believe, and, and all those things come together in a, in a powerful kind of way, and we're calling that active faith. And this series... The good news, this series is not a critique, right? This is not a, a series that's, that's designed or structured or even intended in any way to, to make us just feel guilty, to, to heap shame upon us as we try and sort out how we're supposed to live, but, but it's just making clear the invitation that God has placed before us. Saying if God has invited us to, to live in a certain way, if God has invited us to, to, to look at Scripture and say, this is how life is supposed to work, right? Then when we're, when we're chasing after God and our eyes are fixed on Jesus, as we're going to see in the passage this morning, that that if that's the way we're supposed to live, then, then what does it look like for us to take him seriously and lean in and begin to live in that kind of way? So the series is not a critique. It's not meant to, to make us feel embarrassed about how we're living, but, but it's an invitation to live in a better kind of way. And so by way of foundation for this particular passage, as we talk about what it looks like for us to run the race, we're going to start in the middle part of, of Hebrews chapter 11. This series is, is contained within Hebrews 11 and Hebrews 13. But this morning... Hebrews 11, starting in verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, 
and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. And some, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. And the world, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy Set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It is a beautiful passage. This is a passage that for me has been so inspirational over the course of my life that actually this is the, the, the one passage that I have um, it's engraved on a piece of wood that, that's hanging in my office. It's a, it's a passage that I look at every day to say to, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, right? That, that come what may, come what may in the, in, the, in the race that we're running, come what may in the moments that we're, that we're facing, fix our eyes on him. It's one of those verses and one of those passages that, that's worth repeating in our lives, maybe on a consistent, maybe even on a daily basis, say this is what life is supposed to look like. The problem with a passage like this that's, that's so utterly inspiring that you look at this and you're like, this is the kind of passage that, that makes me want to take the next mountain, right? This is the kind of passage that says, I want to run, right? I want to move. I want to get to work. I want to take seriously the, the legacy that, that has been handed down to us or the heritage that's been handed down to us from, from those who have lived so faithfully before us. I'm ready. I want to do my part. The problem with this passage that's, that's so inspiring is that at some point, we start to pay attention to what it's actually calling us to. We start to realize that we're being asked to run a race that, that in this moment, maybe we don't even have the energy to, to take the next step, right? That we can be inspired and then we say, I'm just going to take stock of where I'm at and I'm just so weary, right? You're talking about running a race and I'm not sure I could even take the next step, right? We can't see past the next obstacle, right? This week, I wrote this sermon while getting over this head cold and looking at what it meant to run while feeling incredibly weak. Some of us heard the passage and it stuck out to us because God is just pointing this to us. Some of us heard the let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. We hear that. That sounds great when we read it in Scripture. It sounds great when it comes from the platform, but when it's lived out in our lives to say, look, I have tried Right? I have tried to throw off what has entangled. I have tried to let go of, of the stuff that's holding me back. And, and I may have spent years trying to deal with these kinds of issues. And I'm just not sure it's as easy as what, what this passage seems to make it seem to be. Or maybe for some of us, as we, as we look at this passage, as we listen to this passage, we start to realize that part of what the author of Hebrews is, is doing is calling out our tendency to want to run our own race. Right, to say, look, I'm going to mark out a race that I'm interested in running, and I'm going to mark out this race, and then I'm going to ask God to give me strength to run the race that I want to run. That in some ways, we're, we're, we tend to reverse the invitation and say, God has invited me to run a race, and I, I'd, like to, I'd, like to, I'd like to return that invitation with an invitation of my own 
and say, God, I've, I, I have a plan. I have a thing that I'd like to run. Maybe you'd like to come along with me while, while I run this race. Or, or maybe some of us are, are in the middle of the race. Right? We find ourselves right in the middle of the race, the part of the race that's not as much fun as some of the other parts of the race. And we're just not sure. Right? It's gotten harder than what we've expected. Maybe we've taken a few steps in the, on the, along the way, and now we find ourselves in the middle, and the middle is not nearly as exciting as the beginning and the end. Right? My daughter, Emily, ran track a few years ago when she was in junior high. And one of the things you're going to learn about me is I, I love making progress. Right? I love figuring out a way to like incrementally improve just about anything that I can get my hands on. And so when we start talking about my daughter running track, bless her heart, because when you have a dad that's wired like that and you're learning track and field, it can get interesting, right? Fortunately, we track. Um, but I, she'd run a race and she'd do so well. And I'd, I'd say, look, you're not running against everybody else. You're running against the, the, the time that you ran the last race, right? You're just trying to like, you're just running your own race. But I said, at one point in a conversation, I said, so so what's the hardest part? She was running the 400-meter race, which is one lap around the track, right? So, so what's the hardest part of that race? How could we, if we can figure out what the hardest part is or the, the, the slowest leg of that particular race, then, then maybe we can like figure out how to, we could, we could start with that. And she said, Dad, I think the hardest part of the race is, is turn three. It's turn three. She said, that's the part of the race. And this is so profound. I've used it in, in a few different settings because it's just such a profound insight from a, from a girl who's, I think, got some things figured out. She said, turn three is, is, so like you start the race on the 400 and you start right into a curve, right? And then you take another curve and now you're going kind of back on the back side of the track. She said, that's, you know, approaching turn three is where you're furthest from the finish line, right? It feels like you're furthest from the starting line. You don't hear the crowd cheering anymore. Right? It's not nearly as fun. It's just kind of you and your footsteps. You're not running towards the finish line at all. You're running actually the exact opposite direction as the finish line. She says, so you're coming around turn three, and that's the part where you tend to like, start to lose it. It's profound. Right? Some of us find ourselves at turn three, saying, look, I can't even see the end thing. Right? I can't even see the goal. I don't even know where it is that I'm heading to. So we talk about running a race. You start to load all of those kinds of meanings. In Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, right, since all of those things are true, since, since we are human after all, since the things that they wrestled with 2,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago are the same things that we're wrestling with now. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. It's as if as we go through this passage, and part of why I liked reading the end of chapter 11, heading into chapter 12, is there's a therefore that connects the thoughts, right? That says, this is what has been done, right? This is the way that life has been lived. These are the heroes that have gone before us. And then therefore, now the focus of the story shifts from from the heroes of the faith to those of us that are right now trying to figure out how to live this thing out. Therefore, <coughs> since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Right? This, this cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us, that they give evidence to the greatness and the goodness of God that, that says he will carry us through things that we read these stories and we think that we get persecuted, that, that we get criticized for our faith, and we realize that what has happened to others that have gone before us is 
We face nothing like that, that we should just be in awe of, of what has been handed down to us. But let us, right? We have a part to play, that it's not just that we are, we're inspired by those who have gone before us, but, but we have a part to play, that there is a, there's a, a, a responsibility that we have to, to throw off, to throw off everything that hinders, to throw off the, the sin that entangles. The beautiful thing is that the invitation doesn't start with saying, now that you have figured it all out, right? Now that you've figured out a way to, to get rid of your temptations, now that you've figured out a way to, 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 to get rid of everything that hinders you in, in making progress, now that you've got it all figured out, let's, let's talk about running a race. That this invitation that's been extended to us comes bef- without any expectation that we've cast off anything, right? That's part of the process. That's part of the journey. That's part of the race that we're called to run. And so we throw off everything that hinders, the, the sin that entangles, and then we run with perseverance, which is more than just running, right? It's, it starts with running. It starts with movement. Um, it's, it's more than just perseverance too, right? It starts with, with running and, and involves perseverance. But, but as this passage unfolds, what we see is that it's, it, it moves into purpose, Right? Where are we actually heading? What's the goal that we're actually running towards? That where are our eyes focused? What is it that we're actually, what are we doing? What is the race that's been marked out for us to, to actually have something that, that looks like meaning at, at each step along the way that, that says, this is the journey that God has taken me on? And then it's perspective. It's where are our eyes focused? What is it that, that we're looking at as we run? And the problem is, I think for, for some of us that, that have gotten so good at perseverance, have gotten so good at enduring, that, that we can take that one piece of the, of the call, that one piece of the invitation, that one piece of the this is what we do in response, and we see this perseverance thing and we say, look, I have gotten so good. I've gotten so good at holding on. I've gotten so good at just kind of hunkering down and, and figuring it out and, and figuring out a way past the next obstacle and the next obstacle or, or just holding on and, and making sure that I'm okay, making sure that I survive whatever it is that's coming my way. And we've gotten so good at perseverance. And we hear this part and we're like, okay, so this is what the journey is supposed to look like. We are supposed to persevere. We take that and we're taking it out, the, the purpose and the perspective and all those things that go with it that... The problem with perseverance in this moment or just making it just perseverance is that it can become about our strength, right? It can become about the, our ability to persevere and it can become a transaction with God saying, if, if I hold on long enough, right? If I, if I figure out a way to, to just make it to the next day and make it to the next day, if I can hold on long enough, then I can impress God and I'm going to get what I want from God. That it can become about our strength and our willingness to hold on, that it becomes transactional instead of transformational, Right? Just persevering is not what the invitation entails. So how do we go about doing this? It starts with fixing our eyes on Jesus. Right? It starts with perspective. That's where you start seeing the pattern. These, these three circles that we drew at the beginning of this series are circles, that, uh, concepts that will repeat themselves throughout the, the book of Hebrews where we talk about perspective and confidence and action and talking about what those things look like when they're, when they're congruent with each other. We fix our eyes on Jesus, this, this pioneer and perfecter of faith, with this key thought that our faith is the result of Jesus' work, not the cause of it, right? That's the difference between transactional and transformational, is that, that our faith comes about as a result of, of Jesus having been faithful, having 
been proven faithful in our lives, that our faith doesn't cause Jesus to do things. Our faith is a result of walking with Jesus and as Jesus does the work. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Right now we're talking about this perspective. We now see the race in front of us. We see what we're supposed to be doing. We see the objective. And we recognize that it's not just about it's not just about running. It's about the, the specifics of the race. And, and, and then it's about the perspective that we have during the race. This Jesus perspective. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. By the way, this is a better definition of endurance. It's a better definition of perseverance because it starts with perspective. Right? This is Jesus, his story being used to show us what endurance or what perseverance looks like with perspective. Because there is not joy in the cross, right? Not outside of the, of the purpose of the cross, right? There's not joy in, in being nailed to the cross for Jesus, that, that his joy was found in knowing what the cross meant for us. And so you see Jesus looking past the cross and looking at the goal, his perspective, not on the obstacle in front of him, but on the fruit of having gone through what he has to go through. His perspective, his eyes on where, what he is enduring to and, and the confidence regardless of circumstances. What looked like, as we look at this particular verse, what looked like utter failure. Right, if you talk about the mission of Jesus, if you think about the, those who would stand in opposition to Jesus, to, to say this would have been the moment at the cross where they would have claimed victory. Right? It would have looked like utter failure of Jesus' mission and, and absolute condemnation. Jesus had been tried and found guilty and worthy of death nailed to the cross, what looked like utter failure and absolute condemnation became the victory, right? Isn't that powerful? And that might be worth writing in the margins of our Bible when we start talking about this moment. What looked like utter failure and absolute condemnation became the victory. So consider him, right? Eyes on Jesus, but not just looking at him, but actually considering him, actually taking stock of, of, of who he is and what he did, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Pay attention to his life. Weary, right? This is the losing of strength. This is that I just don't know where the energy for the next step comes from. But the author of Hebrews understands that when we're talking about a spiritual journey, when we're talking about facing opposition, when we're talking about trying to make spiritual progress, it's not just weariness. But it's also this losing of heart. Right, literally, the, the words that are translated lose heart means exhaustion or exhausted soul. Right, an exhaustion of soul, that, that deep tired that we feel that's, that's not a physical tired. It's just the, the deep, in the core of who we are, this exhaustion of soul. This feeling of deep exhaustion in the core of who we are that's so much more than weary. They say, so, so keep your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Watch him, learn from him, follow the master so that you don't grow weary and so that you don't lose heart. Running the race that's been marked out for us and the way that God intends for us does not leave us diminished. So how? How should we run? We're talking active faith. We're talking about taking taking what we know and the way we see the world and putting it into practice. So active faith, as we talk about it in the, through the lens of this particular passage, active faith means running the race. Right? There is a time, there is a time for sidelines. Right? There is a time for sitting in the stands and for cheering others along. 
Right? There's a time for being a spectator, but it's, it's just not now. Right? That there is this, this graduation that we will experience, all of us, at some point where we move from running the race to the great cloud of witnesses. That, that there will be a time. But that time is not now. Our faith grows when it's put to use. Our faith becomes credible. When our faith becomes credible to other people. We're talking about how do we share our faith? How do we help other people see what God's doing in our lives? The, the truth of, of, of what we have found. And the most credible way that we can share our faith is when we live our faith, right? That when, when things come our way, when, when things, circumstances change, that, that we cling to God and allowing other people to have a lens or to have an opportunity to view our lives, to, to see that our faith is actually put into practice, that faith becomes credible to others when it's lived out in front of them. Active faith. Active faith is more than perseverance. Right? It is perseverance, it's just, it's just not just perseverance. That active faith is more than per- perseverance, it's, it's, it's purpose, right? That there's a race that has been marked out for us, right? For some of us, we, we just have lived our lives as if there is no sense of purpose, that there's no next step, that there's no race that's been marked out, that, that there's nothing that we're called to in any kind of specific way. It's, the, it's purpose, it's the race, it's perspective, it's it's where are our eyes focused? What is it that we're looking at? It's transformative because it involves letting go, right? When we take Jesus up on the invitation to, to run, when we take God up on the invitation to run, that, that, that step one of that is, is to let go of some things, right? Those things that, in, that inhibit, those things that ensnare. It's not being free of hindrance and sin and then getting invited. It's being invited and letting go as part of the process. It's transformative in the sense that that running a race that requires God's strength changes us. When we are pushed beyond our own limits, when we're pushed beyond our own capacity, that's when we begin to realize what exactly God's capable of doing in our lives. It's transformative and it's perspective. Right? The perspective process is, is wrapped up in, in Hebrews 12 in, in a sense that the invitation is this, that, that look at the great cloud of witnesses all around you, right? Those who have gone before us. Look at the great cloud of witnesses, eyes on them, right? Take the stock, acknowledge. And then look at the race that's set before you, right? It's, that's step two. Step one, look at the crowd. Step two, step two, look at the race, that's been marked out before us. And then step three, fix your eyes on Jesus. Right? Acknowledge the crowd. Acknowledge the cloud of witnesses. Acknowledge the race. But when you run, you're not looking at the cloud. You're not looking at the race. Your eyes are fixed on Jesus, the goal, the one who's gone before us and the one who's calling us forward. And we acknowledge the other two, but we focus on him, that we run to him, no matter what comes our way in the race, that our eyes aren't on the obstacles, our eyes are on Jesus. Active faith is more than perseverance. Active faith is our heritage, right? These are our people. We read in in Hebrews 11, and we hear of the stories of faith, and we look at these moments, and we're like blown away and inspired by what people have done who have gone before us, and it'd be tempting to not realize that that they are us, right? Those people that were living in their times, dealing with the obstacles that were in front of them, dealing with the persecution and the hardships, and all those kinds of things, that, that that was their moment. This is our moment. We are of the same stock, 
right? We are the same, we are of, of the same tribe. These are our people. This is our tribe. These, who are, these are who have gone before us. These are people who put it all on the line, who died possessing nothing and yet handed down something so valuable, a way of living. Active faith is our heritage and active faith is our legacy. This is what we leave behind when we take our place as we will. And the great cloud of witnesses, what is it that we leave behind? Active faith is our legacy. And the hard thing about this particular kind of legacy is that, that it's a legacy that we leave every day, right? It's a decision that we make on a day-by-day basis. It's, it's how we live, not just what we have. It's, it's not what we collect so that we can hand off. It's how we live. It's a way of living. It's how we live out our faith. And so we're called to active faith within a framework. So we talk about actions and confidence and perspective. This passage gives us some very simple actions, right? Very simple, but, but simple, as we have, if we've not said it often enough, you're going to hear it a whole lot, is that, that simple doesn't mean easy, right? It's not the same thing. They're not synonymous. That, that things can be simple because they're focused, but doesn't make them easy, right? So these simple actions, they're not, they're not easy, but they're simple. So we, we throw off, the invitation this morning is to throw off what you're holding on to, right? To actually maybe get a different perspective with our actions. What is it that we're, that we're holding on to that's holding us back? What are you holding on to and what's holding on to you? This is true for followers of Jesus. This is true for people who are, for some of you, you're here and you're, you're just searching, and there's an acknowledgement that, that life isn't probably working out exactly like what we'd hoped it would. And there's things that are true of our lives. And there's things that are true of your life. And you're saying, well, I just don't know how to, how to deal with this. That this passage is an invitation to begin to, to take our hands off of the things that are holding us back and say, what does it look like? What does it look like to trust just a little bit? Right, to, be, to take our hands off just a little bit, to, to begin to maybe let God get to work on our lives, to, to begin to trust him, to begin to, to place some things that we've been holding on to that, that we've actually convinced ourselves that God might not even want to hear from us because those things are present in our lives. What does it look like? What does it look like for us to understand that the invitation came before those things were let go of, came before the sins that were so easily ensnared had been dealt with, to be called forward, Throw off what you're holding on to and what's holding on to you. Run with perseverance, right? We're talking the actions that, that show up in this passage. Run with perseverance. It's worth fighting for. It's worth pushing forward. It's worth taking a next step, even when the next, the, the next step, I'm not sure where the energy comes from for that. Run with perseverance. Embrace our heritage and leave a legacy. Take hold of the stories of those who have gone before us, that, that we can look at the stories that, that, that exist in, in, in the scripture and say, this is our people, right? And now this is our moment. And so, so we take our heritage and we, and we faithfully steward that during our lifetime and our heritage becomes our legacy, this active faith reality. And how that happens is, is not by, in terms of active faith, that's why it's, we're so careful to say active faith doesn't mean that we just do more things. Right? It doesn't mean that we're just more like, busier than we were yesterday, that, that we're adding more things to the list of things that we do. It's, it's paying attention. Talk about this graphic. This is why the graphic matters. Is, is that we're paying attention to the interplay between our actions and our confidence and our perspective that, that we look at that and are they congruent or not? Is there, is there an area that's weak that we need to deal with? What, what does this actually look like? Played out, faith applied to the act of living. 
not just doing more things. Right? And that shows up in confidence. That we have an opportunity to trade confidence in ourselves or maybe a lack of confidence in ourselves for, for confidence in Christ. Right? Our confidence is in Jesus, not in ourselves. That, that this pioneer and perfecter of faith is, by definition, the one who goes before us. Right? By definition, the one who makes a way for us to trade confidence in ourselves when we know how much we get it wrong, right? We know how frequently we get it wrong and trade that kind of confidence for something that, that's actually worth having confidence in. The pioneer and perfecter of faith, the one who goes before us, the one who makes a way for us. Talk perspective. That means we trade a temporary perspective for an eternal perspective. We, we started out saying it feels like we're surrounded sometimes, right? That we're outnumbered, that there's, there's just too much noise in our lives, that there's just so much that we have to deal with. And that's this temporary perspective. It's saying, what is it that, that we're facing? And what's all the noise? And we're focused on all those things to say, what does it look like to, to take stock of this great cloud of witnesses that's around us, that the stories that have been handed down, the stories of those who have gone before us, to look at the race that we're called to run and and move from a temporary perspective that would say this is us surviving or holding on to the, the, through the next obstacle to an eternal perspective that says there is a race that's marked out for us, that, that this is our moment, that we have purpose, right? That the moments in our lives have purpose, that the steps that God calls us to have purpose, that, that when God invites us to take a next step, that, that it's for a purpose, that he's taking us somewhere. So we, we talk of being surrounded or running the race or, or being hindered and entangled. And we ask ourselves the question, am I, am I taking a temporary perspective or an eternal perspective? When we have a temporary perspective, we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we holding on to that's holding me back? Or what am I holding on to that's holding me back? What am I holding on to that's holding me back? When we talk about entangled, all right, this this way that sin just seems to get a grip on our lives. To look at it and say, maybe our sin problem, right, not to diminish in any way the struggles that we face, but to say maybe, maybe the, the, the root cause of our problem with sin or our problem with temptation is a, is a temporary perspective instead of an eternal perspective. A temporary perspective that says, how can I get what, what I want right now without having to worry about or without thinking about what I want most. Right? To think about what that looks like, to, to have a, a, a problem with sin or a problem with temptation that's, that's rooted in temporary thinking instead of eternal thinking. It says, I'm holding on to this, or I'm, I'm choosing to partake in this because I'm just not sure it's worth waiting for something better. This immediate gratification and reality of our culture hindered and entangled. And then we talk about having our eyes. We talk about perspective to, to say, well, where is it that we're actually heading to? Where should our eyes be? Our eyes on Jesus. To move from a temporary perspective that would say we see Jesus, but we fix our eyes on the obstacles or we fix our eyes on the race versus the eternal perspective, which says Jesus, our pioneer and our perfecter of faith that's inviting us forward. Right, that when we're running a race, that we can say the reason that we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus is that he's the goal, right? That he's the goal all along. And so let's run. Let's run with perseverance. Let's run with purpose and perspective. Running until it's time to take our place in the great cloud of witnesses. Running the race marked for us and keeping our eyes on Jesus. Therefore, 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for perspective. God, thank you for firm footing in in who you are. God, that we're not called to, to make sense of eternal things through a temporary lens, but we're called to understand the temporary through the eternal. God, I pray that as you deal with us this week on some of these issues, as you, as you use some of what we talked about this morning in, in our lives to, to force us to, to come to grips with maybe some of the things that we've got to deal with, those areas of incongruence in our lives, those areas where our actions and what we believe don't quite match up, and where we look at the world through a lens that, that's focused on the temporary instead of the eternal. God, I pray you'd forgive us for that. God, I pray you do a work in us. God, that you get us there. God, the, the promises that you make in Scripture, the invitation that you've given to us, that, that we'd take you up on it and that, God, we'd find you there. God, in this beautiful invitation that you've given us and this inspiring moment of this history of Christianity. God, that for our moment, that we would take hold of our heritage and that we would live something worth being a legacy. God, we want to apply faith to the act of living. God, thank you for your goodness and for your greatness. God, thank you for making a way for us. God, thank you for loving us. And thank you for moving us forward. Amen.